This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Cluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, in studio by my good friend and my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it is uh, one day. We're less than... 24 hours away from the start of the NFL playoffs. Uh, we've got two complete days worth of playoff games uh, on tap for tomorrow. So we wanted to kind of do a recap on some of our takes from early in the NFL season, uh, see where we were right, see where we were wrong, talk about the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, uh, some of the rebuilds that are coming in the NFL. But before we do that, um, I want to ask you a little bit about the NBA because I've watched zero minutes of NBA basketball this season. And it seems like last NBA season ended 25 minutes ago. So, um, I was 28 minutes ago, but you know, not far off. Yeah. To be fair, to be fair, I've not had the, my usual motivation or interest in flipping on any NBA basketball. So my first question to you is, are they playing in like real arenas or are they doing the, like, you know, auxiliary gym at Disney thing like they were doing last year? No, they're playing in real arenas, but it it's the it's really weird because there's almost yeah. none of the arenas are allowing fans for obvious yeah. reasons, and uh, but they still have like the full in arena experience going on. So okay. like they'll they'll pan empty crowds, so it's all a tarped over seats, and then you'll get to like yeah. the uh, the balconies where they have the the dancers and the DJ and the mascot wow. doing their full on like. Uh, yeah. get the crowd that's not their hyped up thing. Um, yeah, that's bizarre, dude. And then they pipe in some crowd noise, but uh, what you don't get any of is like the ambient noise, you know, of like yeah. the squeaking sneakers and the bouncing ball and that kind of thing, uh-huh. which is probably because if they mic'd the court, all you would hear is, is the players trash talking and cussing at each other. And <laughs> exactly. That's not real. That's not real good advertising for most people, which I but, think they should, they should lean hard into that. I think there should be like a like an HBO Max yes. option on uh, on the NBA telecast where you can get all the trash talk. Yeah, you need to get like the broadcast version or like the unfiltered version, totally. where you can where you can get the you know cut, like when they did the the Jordan documentary, you could get the what was it Netflix. Oh yeah, you could you could get the like unfiltered Jordan version. Yeah, and which is and the then one you get I, like I the ESPN with. one where it was all bleeped out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we need the um, not bleeped out version so that we can hear just, you know, exactly how crazy, I don't know, Kyrie Irving is on the court or something. <laughs> exactly, man. That would be so fun. And it would it would be a, a means of providing something new in a moment where, like, all kinds of things are being taken away, right? So you're losing all the energy of an actual gym. Uh, even the ambient noise of like the ball hitting the floor and the sneakers. I'm a big fan of that. Like, call me, call me old fashioned. I, uh, I really, I'd like to hear all that stuff. Um, okay. Next question on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most one being the least about the NBA. What's the level of like social sermonizing that you get in a given telecast? Cause it was like an eight or a nine last year and it was, it was consistent. Um, like how much are you being preached at in an average NBA telecast in, in this season? 
Um, I, so I'm I'm mostly streaming it through the NBA League Pass to watch like local broadcasts. I'm not. Nice. I haven't tuned into a ton of like the TNT, ESPN games. I'm sure those are worse because you know they those are the they they have to have their their personas in place. Whereas like sure. watching Jim Peterson do color commentary for the Timberwolves. <laughs> He's yeah. he's much more distraught about D'Angelo Russell's inability to to play help defense or something like that. Uh-huh. Which thankfully I, I'm I'm with him on that. I'm much more distraught yeah. about that as well. So I'm sure it's I'm sure it's bad. Although I haven't seen a lot of like, uh, you know, there hasn't, there hasn't been a lot of publicity about the protests and things like that. I know yeah. the night uh, of the riots at the Capitol. Um, a couple different teams, especially I think it was Washington and their opponent, um, you know, took a knee on the court and that kind of thing. But so that that feels fairly par for the course at this point. Um, sure. It hasn't been shoved down the throat the way that it was previously, as, as far as I can tell. That's good. Yeah, the NBA kind of alluded to not shoving that down people's throats to the degree that they did last year. Um, dude, shout out to local broadcasters. Um I feel like local broadcasts are the best for the NBA. Um, we some, had in Detroit, some of them. Some of them are are so horrendous. They're good, you know. Yes. Where you're like, oh, this is just this is just a gong show of homerism. And then some yeah, of them yeah. are sneaky, really good broadcasters. Yeah, definitely, dude, definitely. And and they're not so into their personas like like you said with the national broadcasts. We had this guy in Detroit for like 150 years, George Blaha. And uh, it was always Blaha and Greg Kelser doing uh-huh. the doing the local Pistons feed, and uh, yeah, just kind of local local legends in that market. Or like when when uh, Tommy Heinsohn did the Boston one, and he oh, was yeah. just convinced that every Celtics up and comer was like the next Bill Russell, you know? Absolutely. And it was yeah, just it was, all stories of when he played, and he was a great player back in the day. But yeah, it was yeah. it was such a homer. It was hilarious. Yeah, for sure, dude, for sure. So, how are the Timberwolves this year? Uh, they're they're horrendous. Um, uh-huh. They need to fire their coach, and they uh, so their best player, Carl Anthony Towns, got mm. a wrist injury, and so he's been out after the first couple games of the season. Mm. And they just they look like they're com- they're completely lost without him. And he yeah. wasn't the good he wasn't good enough to make them you know a great team anyway. But sure. I mean they're getting they've gotten blown out by like fifteen to thirty points, and I think four or five straight games. Ouch. Which. No matter who you are as an NBA team, uh, that means the coach needs to get fired because that's yeah. Just the a, in- yeah, there's just there's just yeah. No the NBA th- is always quick on the they're always quick on the trigger with these head coaches. See, here's um, the thing though. So Ryan Saunders is their head coach. He was uh-huh. a beloved assistant for a long time. He's the son of Flip Saunders, who was sure the only successful. Well, I guess there was a couple other good seasons here and there. Rick Adelman had a couple of good years. Tom Thibodeau had a good year, but Flip is the most successful coach in. Uh, Timberwolves history coached the majority of Kevin Garnett's career at at Minnesota. Um, Flip passed, passed away, I think in 2014. Yeah. So Ryan's his son. And so there's like this, we can't fire him that, that, you know, that's mean to the Saunders legacy. And frankly, I think letting the son uh, coach the team into the, into the ground is bad for the Saunders (laughs) legacy. That is true as well. Dude, to me, it's a question of names with those two. Ryan is not a sports name. I'm sorry. It's just it just doesn't work. Um whereas if your like, name is it doesn't like hockey. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, I guess I'm not thinking about hockey. Like, Ryan, uh, Ryan Saunders sounds like a great defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, you could be a third-line kind of defenseman, kind of a grinder, you know, a little bit of a goon. Uh, but Flip Saunders, I can I can get behind the name Flip Saunders. Um, I feel like if that's your name, like some, some grit has been, uh, you know, kind of uh, passed to you via the name. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a fun name. It's kind of a show business name. You know, Flip Saunders could work in the movie business, radio. Um, but, yeah, Ryan Saunders, man, just tough. It's kind of forgettable. You know if what I mean? A, if you're a 50-something-year-old man and you're still going by Flip, like there's <laughs> – You've there's got some, some swagger. Yeah, there's something about you that's, that's kind of uniquely like – you just stand out from the crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, at that point, usually totally. you go by Phil, not Flip. Yeah. But nope, yeah. he he kept flip all the way to the end. Was that his Christian name, Phil? Phil Saunders? I think yeah, I think it was Phil Saunders. Phil Saunders sells you like homeowner homeowners insurance. Yeah, he's that's the, a, that's he's an the, insurance. He's the local state farm agent advertised Absolutely. at the Timberwolves games. Advertised at the Timberwolves games on the little billboard, you know, hey, call Phil Saunders for all your home auto and life insurance needs in the the greater Minneapolis St. Paul area. Um yeah, dude, I hope that gets better for you. I really do. Um, and we've got baseball, you know, coming in the the not too distant future, I hope. But uh, what we want to do today, Pipe, is talk a little NFL. And you had a great idea yesterday in the in the pre show production meeting. Um, you wanted to talk about takes that we were wrong on from the beginning of the season, and I thought that was just great because there are a lot of them for me. Uh, but I'm going to let you kick us off. What was a what was a one take that you were just wrong on? Um, going in, into the season. Um. Okay. So uh, there's two that come to mind that I just just a huge swing and a miss for me. But I'm going to go with all things Buffalo Bills uh, first. Yeah. Um. I, when when Josh Allen was drafted, whatever that was, three years ago, I was I just guffawed at the pick. And I think uh-huh. we talked about it on this podcast. I think a listener even like sent me a link to that episode and was like, "How are you feeling about this now?" Um. Ouch. Which, little accountability from well, our, yeah, our well, listeners. I mean, if if you record it, somebody can go dig it up and make you look like an idiot for it. So that's true. Um, and it, yeah, I just thought he was going to be a dog of a player, and this year um, he's an MVP candidate. Yeah. And then to top that off, when the Vikings traded Stefan Diggs to the Bills, I was like, good luck with a quarterback who's going to throw the ball into the stands every time. And thought like by week five he'd throw a temper tantrum, and instead, yeah. he led yeah. the league in catches and uh, is one of the top yardage guys and has been yeah. legitimately one of the top two or three receivers in the NFL this year. Um, those two things go hand in hand. Both players have shown who they are, and uh, I was completely wrong about them. Yeah. And and here's the thing. I'm glad I was wrong because watching yeah. watching a young quarterback turn good is so fun. And I don't hate Stefan Diggs. I kind of hate how he handled things in Minnesota, but like he's a really fun player to watch. So yeah, I'm not mad about any of this. I was very wrong about it. No, that's a great one, man, to start with. And I think, you know, the old adage with quarterbacks has always been you can't teach accuracy, right? Like you can't improve a guy's accuracy. And that was the knock on Josh Allen. But you know, we're squarely in the like play design era of NFL coaching. And I think you can, you can play design accuracy. You can scheme guys open. And in fact, more and more, 
you know, more of these quarterbacks that come out of college than not, you do have to scheme players open for them. I mean, uh, Baker Mayfield isn't throwing guys open, yeah. right? Um, Jared Goff isn't throwing guys open. The the list goes on and on. The the litany of guys that you have to really scheme a receiver open for. And I think adding Stephon Diggs into that mix as another guy who can get open, um, it just put them over the top, you know, and, and they've done a really good job with it. And there's a, there's a dark underbelly to the play design era of coaching as well, which is um, I think you lose some of that natural game flow, uh, go with what works kind of motif as guys are just, you know, they're, they're going to the game with a laminated play sheet of, 250 plays and they feel like they have to call all of them you know that's that's kind of the dark side of the play design era but uh it has worked for josh allen it's worked for the bills um and you're right man they are they're a a fun team to watch i heard i heard a really uh what i thought was a really insightful take it was from robert mays he was talking to um uh nate tice on the athletic football podcast i don't know if you subscribe to that one but um i don't subscribe but i listen from time to time yeah robert mays has has for the last several years been one of my favorite nfl podcasters because he's he's a really smart guy but you can tell he just he really has fun with the game he's a little bit like zach lowe is to the nba um but mays was talking about how in this era of you know highly schemed offenses i guess the, the the quarterback ratings whatever rating they were using this year, something like two thirds of the league was higher than you know in in the mid nineties. Five quarterbacks reached whatever it was a QBR of ninety five. This year, twenty two yeah. quarterbacks did, or something like that. Wow! And so he said, yeah. "How do you how do you stand out as a quarterback in a league where even below average is above average?" Right. And and he was talking about Josh Allen, and he said, "Well, you have to you have to go take the risk on the unique talent." And see if you you know if that's the thing that pushes you above. Like Kirk Cousins is an above average quarterback by those ratings, except we yeah. all know that he's not. Like he's yeah he's exactly he puts all average. those yeah he puts and he puts so many of the good numbers together in the fourth quarter in games yeah. that they're losing that don't matter. Yeah, um, and, and you know when they, and he's I mean he's fine as a talent, but he's not great. Whereas like Josh Allen has something, and if he continues to. Yeah. To progress, Patrick Mahomes has something. Aaron Rodgers obviously sure. has something. Those guys were like, it's it's the schemed offense, but that special athletic talent, that special arm, that special kind Absolutely. of you know fu attitude where they just don't ever get afraid of anything. And uh, I thought I just thought that was interesting because we've talked about it before too. How all these like quarterback camp guys come in, yep, and and they look like Kirk Cousins. Like when everything exactly. is on schedule and perfect, they're good. But the moment sure. you make them have to overcome a hurdle, they look kind of crappy and then the special guys are the ones who make the plays that shouldn't be made that's right that's a great point and and along those lines here's one that i was dead wrong on justin herbert as a pro as a prospect oh he was my Um, second one we both thought he was just trash well dude let's talk about it and i want to talk about why we thought he was going to be trash because to me he didn't have the kind of alpha dog quality he didn't have the like you know, F you kind of vibe that, that the great ones seemed to have as a competitor. He didn't have to me like the signature college game that you throw in and you go, Oh yeah, this guy's, this guy's an alpha. This guy's, um, you know, he's able to dig himself out of, um, problems that present themselves on the field. And he did have though. And I think this speaks to your previous point. He, he has physical freakiness. Yeah. And, I I think the Chargers rolled the dice on the physical freakiness. And boy, here we are 16 games later. The guy was sensational. 
and you and I were dead wrong on it. And I'm I'm really surprised, not because I consider myself like a great evaluator, but to me, Herbert just felt like one of those guys that we were rocketing up the draft board because we needed quarterbacks at the top of the draft board. Um, and and I was dead wrong. What are your What are your thoughts on it, Pipe? Yeah, I think. I think we were fooled a little bit because I think he was in a really bad offense at Oregon. Like mm-hmm. one of these, like he threw more screen passes than anybody else. They they weren't yep. letting him do like what Trevor Lawrence has been able to do, where the offense is in his hands. He goes make goes and makes plays. So kind of everything that's good about him, he's the best deep ball thrower in the NFL this year. I think by some metrics, yeah. I don't think he threw the ball downfield at Oregon at all. So no, you're right. You you get all of those things and. um and and so yeah, I think I think there was a, some suppression there. But then I think yeah, I think I bought into subconsciously what you mentioned, which is like quarterbacks need to have a certain persona to yeah. Like I, and I feel a little bit like you know someone's grandpa being like ah he needs to you know eat nails to be a good quarterback or something. Totally, totally. But realizing, forgetting that like confidence can look like you know uh, Michael Jordan and all of his swagger. Or yeah. it can look like Kawhi Leonard and his just right. like, or, or Tim Duncan, just like the complete Iceman aspect of things where like, they just don't yeah. show emotion. And, you know, football is a very aggressive game. And so you, yeah. stereotypically, you want the screamer, the head butter. But maybe right. a quarterback having a guy who's just like, every time he makes a bad play, he's like, what bad play? What are you talking about? And just yeah, moves 100%. on to the next thing is, and so, I mean, Herbert's young, but he, uh, yeah, he completely surpassed everything. He was definitely my second terrible prediction I was going to throw out there for myself. Dude, the thing I noticed about Herbert right away, and was it was it week one that he got the start or week two? It was real early in the season when Tyrod Taylor couldn't go. Um, they told Herbert like minutes before kickoff that he was going to start. And I just, I remember watching his first few series going, he really, he understands when to run. You know what I mean? So a lot of yeah. a lot of young quarterbacks who can run will just run all the time. Or when the first read's not there, they'll just take off. But Herbert, like, almost from the drop, had a really innate sense of when to use the legs, when to stay in the pocket. Um, he's got a really good release. He's got a really strong arm. Um, he's got so many qualities in retrospect that, like, I think we weren't seeing because of where he played college football. And I think he was really held back by that. So... Uh, yeah, one that we were both wrong on. Do you have a, a next one, Pipe? I'm trying to think. Um, I'm trying to think if there was any that I was just like, like team predictions who I thought were going to be great and ended up being bad. Yeah. Um, I Oh, I think I was wrong on Tampa Bay. I Okay, talk about that. This I don't think I was as wrong because I didn't like plant my flag on this, but I thought Tampa Bay yeah. was going to be like 8-8, eight and eight, you know? And sure. just maybe fight for a wild card spot kind of thing. I thought Tom Brady needed Bill Belichick more than Belichick needed Brady. Sure. Um, and and speaking of Bill Belichick, this is this will be like a a three B to my three A. I was wrong uh-huh. about Belichick and Cam Newton. I thought yeah, I yeah. thought Belichick's uh, coaching would lift the quarterback more than the quarterback lifted Bill Belichick. Now I think Belichick's still a great yeah. coach. But yeah. I didn't realize how much that was like an equal partnership. Um, so wrong about Brady and the Bucks, and then as a you know as a result was wrong about the Pats and Cam Newton. Dude, can we do a minute on Cam? 
I want to ask you a question about next season. So I, I have a friend that I talk football with all the time, and he's convinced that there will be a market for Cam Newton next year with all the quarterback movement that we're about to have. I'm convinced that there will be no market for Cam Newton. I, I think this was the season that a lot of late career quarterbacks have where it's obvious that like they are, they are done. Um, I don't think Cam, I don't, I don't think there's going to be a starting job for him next year in any form or fashion. Where, where are you at on that? So I think Cam Newton is the Allen Iverson of football, um, mm. which is incredibly dominant and controversial in at his peak, but he depended entirely on, I mean, his, his skill, like he didn't, he doesn't have the kind of skill set that can erode and he can make up for it. Right. You know? So yeah, his, his, his shoulder is not healthy and he looks like garbage. But the other thing yeah. he has in common with Iverson is the inability to say, I'll go be a backup somewhere. I'll, I'll take yeah. a lesser yeah. role. He's like, he is the man or he's not a man. And I mean, now, now Cam could prove me wrong in that because he's not old. He's like like thirty two, something like that. Yeah, and uh, which in quarterback years is young. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, I think he's Iverson, which means that now that he's, I don't know that he's lost running ability, but he's lost yeah. the ability to pass off of his running ability. Sure, which means he's just not that valuable. He's, uh, you know, yeah. You'd rather have you'd rather have like Jalen Hurts for three hundred thousand than Cam for seven figures. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's like like we've talked about with a lot of old prize fighters. Like he he has a style that doesn't age well. And also I think with a lot of these guys that rely on physicality, you know, the tools might still be there, but they they lose the ability to take a punch. You know, they yeah. lose interest in like, you know, running 12 times a game and getting their body beat up, which who can blame them? And I think Cam's squarely in that twilight where yeah, he might only be 32. But for a guy who, with his kind of play style, uh, it's a very old 32. And I, I think you're going to see that as the quarterback position kind of changes in terms of the makeup of the position. Um, that's why you value somebody like Drew Brees or Tom Brady, who they, they have the ultimate like age well style. And I don't know if we have guys matriculating out of college who play that way anymore. So I don't know if we're going to see guys play into their 40s much. Um, you, you know, even though, even though all the advances in nutrition and, and yeah, but I mean, there. I, but even the guys who are aging, well, like it's, you know, Peyton Manning played to what? 38, 39. And then he just yeah. fell off a cliff, like, fell off a cliff. He was, yep. and he, he had was that M last season. He was MVP. Like, and then he yeah. was like Steve Walsh, you know, <laughs> just couldn't yes, throw that's it right. Off. Yeah. And, and he had that season where you knew that the next year there wasn't going to be a market for him. Yeah. You know, and even the most delusional, like Peyton Manning truther couldn't have like <laughs> envisioned a scenario where there was a market for, well, for and him. Drew, I just think Drew Brees at 40 this year was the same thing. Like the, the well, Saints, are, the yeah. Saints were, yeah. were still won games because they have a solid defense. Peyton's a good coach. Um, yeah. And they still have, you know, and Kamara is one of the best kind of, he, he's the closest thing to Marshall Falk we've seen in the last 15 years. Um, what a great comp. Absolutely. And and so they they still made it work. Yeah. But Breeze is done. Like Bree yeah. if if Breeze was a free agent and, and was, you know, some other team would maybe hey, he wouldn't get the Philip Rivers con contract, the whatever one year twenty million. Um, yeah. because if people look at him and go, he can't throw fifteen yards anymore. Yeah, that's right. That's right. There is a 
there, there's a pretty definitive end. And I, and I think to your point about the Bucks, I don't know that you were as wrong about them as you as you think you are in the sense that up until like two or three weeks ago, there were a lot of people still wondering if the Bucks would be able to figure it out. You know what I mean? Um, they look so jagged and so uneven and so out of sorts at times during the season. There, there was a real sense of maybe this isn't going to work. And I could still honestly see them losing to the Washington football team this weekend. You know, I mean, there, there's a very real world in which the Bucks, you know, um, get into the playoffs and crap the bed. And I still don't know how much I trust Arians when it matters. Um, you know, there's still a lot of question marks on that team, even though it looks like Brady has won the, you know, Brady Belichick face off of, of the 2020 season for sure. Yeah. I, I think there are questions about that team and Arians is, you know, he's always been kind of a like swing for the fences guy, which means that you yeah. strike out and, and have some really ugly outings, but then boy, when you hit, do you hit big, you know, think about yeah, his, that's his right. time with the Cardinals, et cetera. But mm-hmm. the, the thing that the thing that has stunned me is is just Brady's overall production this year in terms of yeah. I think it's like the second or third most passing touchdowns he's ever had. He's well over yeah. four thousand yards. I just kind of thought he was gonna be like thirty seven, thirty eight hundred yards, throw like twenty five touchdowns and fifteen picks. Kind of like yeah. a, a mediocre uh Carson Palmer season. And yeah. in part because he's forty four and in part because it's Bruce Arians, and instead he, you know, he hasn't been amazing, amazing at the beginning right. of the year. He took a little while, but yeah. cumulatively, he's been phenomenal. And that team just looks different than even like, you know, the, the versions of the Bucks we thought might be competitive in past years. Like they, yeah, they've got Brady. That's the difference. That's really the they only do. difference. And then, and then Tristan Warps, who's played great for him, but that's, oh my really gosh, it. he's been so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th- just the fact that we're not talking about a Brady narrative where, we're asking the how do we move on from him question, you know, um, which I think we both thought by the end of this year, we would be we would be talking about Brady in those terms. Um, it's pretty remarkable. And it'll be it'll be definitely fun to see what they do in the playoffs. Uh, my last one pipe as far as takes that I was wrong with this. This isn't necessarily one that I've been super wrong with, but I think the league continues to get it wrong. It's edge rushers mattering. Um you know, it, it's still a big story in free agency every offseason. Like, where are the edge rushers going to land? And, and oh, Yannick Ngakwe goes to the Ravens and Khalil well, Mack with the Bears. Yeah, well, the Vikings traded for him first when they were still on that, like, can we turn the season and get into playoff contention? I mean, they finished 7-9. That's and right. Nine, and so That's right. Get two more wins, and they, they, they are a playoff team. And they got him, yeah. and he made no difference. Well, absolutely. And there was a lot of buzz around here when the Titans signed – the greatest pass rusher of all time, Jadavian Clowney. And like, he has made absolutely no difference whatsoever. Well, he's, he's always been overrated as a pass rusher. Totally. Like he's totally. a, he's a yeah. monster of a human athlete, like yeah. just physically, but not a good pass rusher. He's kind of the Bruce Arians of edge rushers. in that I think he's more the product of like marketing and a little bit of hype than actual production. Um, so yeah, these, these guys, you know, we continue to, you know, if you're in a certain fan base, get excited about a signing like Yannick Ngakwe, and they continue to kind of be a revolving door of names from year to year. But, you know, I think the more we think about pass rushing and the more we think about third down and the more we think about as the makeup of the quarterback position changes, how we rush the passer, 
right? Because like when when you and I played pipe, it was always you know get up the field, um, beat your guy to the outside. But quarterbacks now are so adept at working the pocket, stepping up, sliding, throwing on the move laterally, or just running. Like you really can't approach pass rushing that way anymore. Well, and, and so and, much more of the passing game is lateral. So like if you go up field, right. you're just creating throwing lanes. You're creating throwing lanes and you're effectively removing yourself from the play immediately. Yep. So a lot of your great defensive lines now are the defensive lines that rush more evenly where you see four guys at the same depth. And then you force a Kyler Murray or a Baker Mayfield or a Cam Newton to kind of hesitate and make a decision. Um, so it's really rendered the way we play offense now has really rendered the the edge rusher kind of a, a non thing. And, you know, you see guys that still get numbers, you know, your your um TJ Watts, um there are still edge guys putting up numbers, but I think but then, but then you see like Shaq Barrett, who I think led the league in sacks last year, gets a free agent con and he just free agent contract this last year, and I don't think he's at, where did he sign? Is he uh is he Miami now? He's still in Tampa. I think is he right? Yeah, I don't remember. I thought he idea. signed with a new team. But here, th- yeah. this discussion is making the point. League yeah, leader in right. sacks last year. Can't the fact that we don't know where Shaq Barrett plays is yeah. is a huge is a huge thing. Yeah. So he played with Tampa this year, and let's just check his his numbers from last season to this season. Um, hang on, this is good radio. A guy looking something up on the internet. So <laughs> nineteen nineteen and a half sacks last year. Definitely the outlier as you look at every season of production that he's had. And he was back down to eight this year, um, which isn't a bad season, but it's not a, you know. Yeah, it's, a, not, it's a, not a get paid season. Yeah, that's right. It's not an all pro type season by any stretch. And just for the sake of curiosity, as we make this point, um, let me let me look up Khalil Mack's numbers. Mack um, has... So Mac has not had a great year sacks wise. I was looking this up. Right. I don't remember the numbers, but like he hasn't he he's not in that like 14, 15 sacks. That's range. right. He's one uh, of those guys that I think goes to the Pro Bowl now every year just off of his reputation. Um oh, he, and he, he went nine. to the Pro Bowl. He has nine this year. Yeah, he has nine sacks, eight and a half last year. Yeah, and the and the point that I was gonna make with Khalil Mack was it feels like it's been a couple of years since he's been dominant. You know, a couple of years since he's been a guy that you've been, you know, scared of. Um, so it begs the question, who are the great edge guys now? So um, I, I think the great edge guys now are the guys who who are their two-way players. So, and Mac yeah. actually is one of these guys. Like, he's still, mm-hmm. he's vicious in coverage. Like, he tra- he he's good at, like, covering the flat. He can drop a little yeah. bit. He's pretty solid against the run, even for us. He can set the edge. Yeah, he's yeah for sure. But, like, uh, Bosa... Um, yeah. Bosa brothers, yeah. Chase Young, those yeah. kinds of guys, you know, Kalei Campbell, who's, he's old now, but he was kind of a, a an early sure. version of this where they can rush off the edge, but when they slide down inside, they can set the edge. They can still control what the offensive line does. Yeah, that's right. As, so Chase Young, I'm looking at his numbers, didn't have an amazing sack season, but was really noticeable. Yeah. Like if you watched any Washington games, like he was... He was an animal, and you know he was definitely a factor in terms of game planning. So, um, and he was he was on a defensive line that was really talented all the way across the front yeah. four. They've invested um, a lot in it. They really have, and they still have Ryan Kerrigan who can rush the passer. So, but Kerrigan's um, another one of those guys who like 
his his relevance he's he's become like uh, a spot relevant guy. He's like a good reliever yep. instead of a good starter in baseball. We're like, if you have the right situation, he's going to be really valuable, but he's yep. not necessarily going to dominate for the majority of a game. He's in the late career. Chris Long, New England signs him kind of twilight of, of his career, which can still be a good place to be for a pass rusher. You know, you can, you can come and, and be almost a, like a relief pitcher. Charles Haley did it at the yeah. end of his career, like a, a handful of times and won a bunch of Super Bowls being the, you know, the off the bench pass rush guy. But yeah. um, I, I think that the new the new sort of unicorn that people are looking for. So, you know, it used to be the the Javon curses, the you know, the, yeah. the speed or Khalil Mack at his peak, Von Miller. It's Aaron Donald now. Like he is yeah. the if you can find another version of Aaron Donald. Yeah, you can your your defense just improves by 25 percent by by his existence. Yeah, that's because right. he, he, the quarterback can't step up. That he disrupts yeah. the running game like crazy. He's just he's a he's a whole problem every play. Well, and that's always been the even the book on like late career Tom Brady. Like the the only way to rattle him is to put pressure right in his face. Um, and if you can push the pocket right up the middle, then you can you can affect a late career Tom Brady. And that actually it kind of brings me to our next topic pipe. I want to talk about dream rebuilds and nightmare rebuilds. So identifying a couple of teams in each category um, that you would see as a as a GM as a fun rebuild. And you mentioned the the kind of the new prototype at defensive tackle, the pocket pushing, quick get off, uh, athletic D tackle. And I actually want to talk about the Jets as a potentially dream rebuild. And Quinnen Williams is one of the pieces that plays into this in terms of being the young interior guy um, with a lot of twitch, a lot of athleticism, who can get sacks, he can be good in the run game. So I'm looking at the Jets pipe. I'm looking at like north of $50 million in cap space and a handful of guys that you would want to keep on the roster and build around, including Quinnen Williams. I think they have three first-round picks. I could be wrong. They, they have do. two. Yeah, I mean, they're filthy rich in first-round draft picks with the added caveat of you could flip Darnold for another pick. He's not going to be a first-rounder, but you could flip him for a pick or you could keep him and just stockpile around him. So um, Makai Becton, we've well-documented my my crush on Makai Becton, who by the end of next season, we could we could be talking about him as the best left tackle in, in the NFL. Um, he had that kind of a rookie year. Quinnen Williams, Marcus May on the back end of the defense as a playmaker. Denzel Mims as a receiver. Chris Herndon, athletic tight end, um, and tons and tons of picks and cap space. So they could go quarterback with that first pick. They could go another elite tackle and get an Alex Leatherwood or a Panay Sewell in the draft. Um, I look at the Jets and I go, for as much of a dumpster fire as they were this season – it's sneakily a good situation to land in because it was a long time before Denzel Mims got on the field and there was a long stretch with no Darnold. But toward the end of the season, they kind of started to put it together a little bit um, with Mims, Brashad Perryman, uh, the other receiver there who we've talked about before, who I'm, I'm blanking on. Um, yeah, the they slot, have some the guys. Slot guy, um, the one, slot guy. Yeah. Him, yeah. Consummate him. slot guy. Right, right. <laughs> that guy. Um but anyway, I look at that and I think, man, that could be kind of a fun rebuild. Um, where where are you at on on dream rebuilds pipe teams that you would you would have fun rebuilding? 
So I think the, the the obvious answer, although I don't know that this counts as a rebuild as much as just the best coaching position available, is the Chargers. Yes. Yeah, there you because go. Because they, they have very few t- I don't know how they stunk as bad as they did this year. Like they just Dude, right. You look at their position groups and they're good almost everywhere. Yeah, they they've got they've got a great duo of receivers who complement each other along with a solid tight end. They're yeah. they have a a good running back. You know, it'd be probably be good to get a second running back who complements Eckler a little bit. I think their offensive yeah. line could use some help. Uh when they're healthy, their defensive line is great and they have some of the better defensive backs in football at a couple different positions. Yeah. I don't know how good their linebackers are. Like again, we're talking the major positions. Oh, and Herbert, obviously. Um yeah. and somehow they were just bad. And so yeah. I don't think that's a rebuild as much as, you know, if they just if they found, you know, if they threw all the money at, I don't know, Urban Meyer or somebody and got a coach who, right. who can run a team. Yeah, they, they go straight into the playoffs. Um, totally. In terms yeah, they of were in so many close games this year, they could have easily been 10 and six if they had just like learned how to finish a game. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in, in terms of rebuilds, I think the Jets are the clearest case of like they need to be rebuilt. Uh right. them and them in Jacksonville. Um yeah. where they just they're just not good. They don't have enough talent. Um yeah. I think Jacksonville is probably less appealing from right. the standpoint of they don't they don't have they don't have a good offensive line. They don't have a good defense. They don't have weapons. They got you know a yeah. running back who is a nice find, but like you don't build offenses around running backs unless you're Tennessee sure. and, and have you know a once in a generation kind of guy. Um, yeah. But they have cap space. They don't have a lot hindering them from making good moves. So if you wanted just a blank yeah. slate, they're a good option. But the Jets the Jets have the best opportunity because they do have the left tackle. They they don't have, you know, they don't need to be like, oh, we need to sign 11 receivers. They can go find a couple guys. They can, yeah. you know, if they draft a quarterback, one of the top two quarterbacks, they're great. They're in a good spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all those first round picks put them in a great spot because it's trade flexibility or or reloading with talent. And they have cap space, right. which means they can make some smart veteran uh, signings. Yeah, they have cap space, and it's a really good – to me, it's a really good year for free agents in terms of a lot of difference makers being available. And, and yeah, I think the difference between the Jets and the Jags is that for the last year or two, the Jets have sneakily drafted well, and the Jags haven't. Um, the Jags have squandered their picks by and large, and the Jets have, have turned them into – to good players or pieces that you can build around my second dream rebuild pipe. I think, I think uh, the other thing with the jets that that's a huge advantage is Adam Gase and the previous GMs, they fired their GM what, like right after the draft, something like that. Yeah. Right after the draft, they drafted and then they got rid of the guy. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's to what you said. We've drafted yeah. pretty well. Let's let him do that and then not let him do anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But Gase has been so bad as a coach, and then also yeah. just so bad as a as a a, a front man for the organization yeah. that literally anybody you bring in is going to give you a long runway because they're going to be less bad as a front man and probably yeah. better as a coach. Yeah, no, that's right, hundred percent. So my next dream rebuild pipe, um, New England. Uh, so I'm thinking about New England, and they took a beating this year, um, obviously, in terms of the dearth of talent on their roster. Some of that was 
guys that opted opted out because of COVID. And some you're going to have to work frankly, hard to persuade me on this one because um, I'm uh, I'm not at all sure about that. No, I know it, and and I want to be upfront in saying that New England has drafted badly, right? Like for all the love that we lavish on Belichick, well deserved, and we should like their their draft performance has been you know spotty at best. But I'm looking at that team, and again, cap space kind of dovetailing with a year in which the the list of free agent wide receivers this offseason is just bonkers. And, you know, we could we could go down the list in different price points and put a and, and put a stable of weapons together for New England that they could afford that would make them competitive almost immediately. So for who? they've who's got throwing two. who's throwing the ball in this scenario. Well, yeah, but that's the thing. I mean, it's also it's going to be a robust quarterback trade market, too. So, I mean, there could be a scenario in which Matt Stafford and Kenny Galladay end up on the Patriots next year and you go, all right, two pretty quality young running backs, a good core of O-line talent, youth at linebacker and DB, tons of cap space to play with. And then you put like Stafford and Galladay on that team and it's a different team. You know what I mean? Um, You could put Stafford, Galladay and Brashad Perryman on that team. And, you know, you've got a, a, a twitchy, fast kind of young upside guy in Perryman. You've got a guy who's produced at a high level in Galladay and a quarterback at 32 who still has a really live arm and who I think we would both be way more excited about than um, a lot of other guys that they could get in the quarterback market. If they want to go young and build a quarterback, they could, you know, they could take the third round kind of Sam Darnold journey and see where that goes, which I, I think I was higher on, you know, last time we recorded than now. But to me, the Pats are one good offseason away from being good again. And as badly as they performed on the field this year, I think it's attributable to some things that you can pretty easily fix in the offseason because some of those core pieces are there. They drafted well on the offensive line last year. Um, The kid that they got from Michigan, the rookie, looks like he's going to be a good player. Joe Tooney's coming back. David Andrews is coming back. Um, The core is there on the offensive line. Uh, Damian Harris looks like a real player. They still have Sony Michelle. Um, you know, you put some, a, a few key pieces into that offensive mix and I think it gets good pretty quickly. You're not so convinced on the Pats pipe. Why? I, yeah, I feel, cause I, I feel like what they lack. So the Pats, the Pats tried to kind of run it back this year, you know, yeah. New, change our offensive identity a little bit from the Brady-driven thing to this kind of run-heavy Cam Newton thing that yeah. we saw. I I was stunned that they won seven games this year. Frankly, I like I kind of yeah. lost track of them, and I kind of assumed that they were like five and eleven, and we're going to have a top seven pick. Instead, they're the fifteenth yeah. pick, which is a bummer because they could really use yeah. a higher pick than that. Um, yeah. Now, of course, Belichick's going to flip this move back to like get you know two high second rounders or something like that. But right. But I think, dude. I think so just the other piece yeah, go ahead. That, that throws me is when have we seen Belichick rebuild? You know, yeah, never. That's what's fascinating about it. He uh, he's redefined that team a bunch of times. You know, they've been explosive offensively. They've been run heavy. They've been pass heavy. They've you know they've done like they've had star defensive players, although not as many as you would think. And then they've had these sort of like scheme dependent defenses. 
And what they've never done is say, we don't have an identity, which is where they are right now. And I think that's what yeah. throws me because it's not a blank slate. It's not blank slate enough to be right. an obvious rebuild such as uh, the Jets or the Jaguars. No, that's a that's a great point. And I think it can be I think it could be more of a redefine than a rebuild. And I think that's what we're going to see this offseason. But you're right. You make a great point. Like he's never he's never been in this situation, uh, which is what makes it kind of a fascinating thing to look at in terms of the Pats. And so they went seven and nine. And in terms of a Mendoza line, if you will, the Vikings went seven and nine with like a way, way, way more talented roster. You know, we would look at the Vikings roster well, and it, go a way, way, way more talented offense. The Vikings defense this yeah. year was was heinous because they lost all their starting corners. Then their then their nose tackle opted out. Daniel Hunter sat out the year with an injury. Yeah, uh, Anthony Barr missed most of the year with an injury, and Kendricks missed half the year. So that's like their top five defensive players. Not and Ngakwe did nothing. Yeah, Ngakwe yeah. was there for yeah. four games, did nothing, and then I think he got one sack, and then and then they traded him again. So yeah. Um, it's yeah, like their their defense really depended on the front seven being solid, so the young defensive backs could could be good, and uh, yeah. the the front seven was injured, and so yeah, like they the 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 New England Patriots were the the um the photo negative of the Vikings, where yeah. the defense kind of dragged the offense to seven wins, and then for the Vikings, it was the offense being top ten in the league numerically, and the defense yeah. being horrendous. Yeah, no, absolutely. Speaking of horrendous, there are some teams with cap situations heading into this offseason that are just nightmarish. And as a as a GM, I can't imagine being in a couple of these situations and trying to rebuild a team and put a product on the field for next season. Um, as I think about nightmare rebuilds, and we can go through these quick because I still want to talk about Deshaun Watson. Um, Detroit, terrible cap situation. All their wide receivers are free agents, except Quintez Cephas, who was a rookie last year. So Galladay, Marvin Jones, all the receivers that you've kind of gotten comfortable with in Detroit. Stafford, um, do you get his cap number off the books and start over? Um, one of the most beloved players in franchise history, like has been a warrior, has been a soldier, still has life in the arm, is only 32. What do you do with Stafford? Um Detroit seems like a nightmare in part because some of the big swings they've taken in free agency have turned out to be big misses. Um, Vitae is not a starting NFL offensive lineman. He's played terrible. Uh, Trey Flowers has been completely forgettable as the edge guy that you take a swing at in free agency. Um, so the Lions have been your classic like throw some money at a problem and hope that we're just one or two guys away from being competitive. Um, but they have not been that. Uh, what do you, what do you see as a nightmare rebuild pipe? Um, I think honestly, I think the Vikings are pretty bad spot okay. right now. Talk so about it. They, that right now, it, I think the projection for the cap is 175 million ish. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what, that's what a couple of GMs were, were kind of projecting. Um, that would, they would be 8 million over the cap before making any moves. Yeah. They have 40 million tied up in a quarterback who is a career 500 player after like 10 seasons or something like yeah. that. I don't know. He's, he's something yeah. like 50 and 50 in his career. Um, right. they have, um, 
They have they have a lot of money tied up in Adam Thielen, who's a good player. Uh-huh. And I mean, I don't think he's overpaid for the position, but he might be overpaid yeah. for their needs. Their yeah. offensive line, ever since like 1998, has been crap. Um, and those tend to be expensive free agents. Yeah. Um, their defensive, like their defense, could improve by 15 spots or something like that just by getting healthy. But they have sure. no depth at corner. All of their yeah. corners were rookies this year or just, you know, high injury guys. Then they're about to lose uh, their starting free safety to free agency. Um, and so, yeah, they're just they they can't make improvements anywhere without cutting to the yeah. bone somewhere else. No, you're right. And yeah, that would be a tough one. You know, to me, I think you you almost model that team after the like late 80s, early 90s Giants and just go we're going to give Dalvin cook 30 carries a game and hope he doesn't break down and take a shot play a few times a game. Oh, to I, I forgot to mention that uh, in six years as a head coach, um, they six years under the current coaching regime, they've had six different off- offensive coordinators and they're about to be on a seventh because could be actually So exactly. They continuity with the offense, like Dalvin cook was the second best running back in the NFL this year, both numerically yeah. and just eye test to, to Derrick yeah. Henry. Yeah. And sure. you know, yeah, they, they haven't signed for, I think two or three more years. And so, yeah, you yeah. just use him up, but is, is that the most effective way to run an offense? Is he, you know, do, do you need to bring well, a Kubiak like guy? Cause you know, they kind of yeah. running that same system, which puts up numbers, but it's not, but it's a very rigid offense. Like it doesn't, yeah. it's not creative at all. By conventional wisdom, it doesn't make any sense to run your offense that way, especially given what we've gotten used to in terms of what the modern NFL looks like. But I think in terms of like, if you're honest with yourself and you go, there's going to be no market for Kirk Cousins. Nobody wants to take on his contract. So we basically have a quarterback that we need to coach around. Um, we need to minimize him as much as possible. And we have an unbelievable asset in Dalvin Cook. I just think you 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 come up with a way to possess the ball and minimize Kirk Cousins and take advantage of Dalvin Cook. You know, those those are the only cards that you have left to yeah. play. And if you try to like if you try to do the normal like 2020 NFL offense thing with a new coordinator and a quarterback that you're iffy about I, I just think it's not going to work you know you guys were I didn't watch all the Vikings games obviously this year but you guys were at your best when you were handing the ball to Dalvin Cook um, and the offensive line seemed to be able to do that um, in a more significant way than they were able to do other things so what the, yeah, uh, what the offensive line can't do is straight pass protection so running play right. when they can run play action they're yeah. they're effective and they have a couple yeah. decent guys like Ezra Cleveland, who they drafted last year, has real potential as as a probably a great guard, maybe yeah. a decent tackle. Brian O'Neill, their right tackle they drafted a couple years ago, has has come into his own. Um, and then why am I forgetting his name? The center, North Carolina State. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I like him. Bradbury. Yeah, that guy. Bradbury yeah. improved a lot this year. But that means yeah. that they have a trash guard, and then they have Riley Reef at left tackle, who's adequate at best and overpaid. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, they just having having to coach around your quarterback is a quick way to be six six and ten to nine and seven. Like that's that's yeah. what you've got, unless you have a great defense, and they don't anymore. So, yeah, um, I I think I think they go one more year of trying to to fill gaps, and then they just need to start trading 
Uh, you know, so somebody like Adam Thielen, trade him for like a second round pick and a, a usable player. Trade Harrison yeah. Smith, trade Anthony Barr, trade whoever yeah. for picks and usable players so that the roster has some, you know, stability, but yeah. then they can rebuild. Because until Cousins is off the books, yeah, they they can't They're do anything. Trapped. Yeah, yeah, they're trapped. And and you don't want to wait too long like Atlanta where a year or two ago there would have been a market for Matt Ryan and Julio Jones where you could get like big big value for those guys. But Atlanta's trapped in a kind of a cap deal similar uh, to the Vikings. Yeah, they're, where, they're, I think they're know. worse off than the Vikings in some ways because if you look at the Vikings, if the Vikings ran it back with the same roster plus whatever they draft – you know they yeah. you know they'll do a little cap restructuring and whatever right. but they get healthy they they yeah. go from 7 and 9 to 9 and 7 that's just, right just yeah, by yeah. getting back those guys on defense um yeah. and that's it whereas yeah. atlanta atlanta just stinks yeah just atlanta's got a bunch of expensive guys that they can't move on from anymore which is a shame because they have they have some young talent at offensive line you know that i think they could build around but they've got to decide like if they're doing the total tear down or just the, you know, throw throw a little money at it. The last one I, I want to talk about briefly before we get to Deshaun Watson and the Texans is New Orleans. Um, New Orleans has per- they've perpetually been in this like we see ourselves as Super Bowl contenders. And to be fair, I mean they could go to the Super Bowl this year. It's not out of the question. But I think I read something where. <laughs> They could cut everybody on their roster and still be way over the cap heading into next season. Like they're just in a cap yeah, nightmare. It's because every year they roll money forward and so like they have That's right. Unbelievable amounts of like cap hits and dead money. Uh yeah. which again, if you continue to roll it forward, that works while Drew Brees is the top as a top five quarterback. It doesn't work when Drew yeah. Brees is, is forty and can't throw anymore. Right. So it's 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 finally coming to bear that they're gonna have to do something. And I just think it's, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do because again, as like a, a, a dork for offensive line, like they've got ramp check, they've got Ruiz, they've got McCoy, they've got all these like young, interesting linemen that they've invested in. They have Kamara still, um, you know, so who do you, who do you decide to get off the books in New Orleans? Who's expensive that allows you to like not be horrible. Um, when you when you figure out you know what's going to be next at the quarterback position, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see well, how I mean, they Br- deal with Brady. Re- not Brady. Uh, Breeze retiring will help because a retirement right. takes money off the books. There's no dead money. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I think uh, honestly, I think they would be wise to consider trading uh, Kamara or Michael Thomas. And see, I would get rid of Michael Thomas. I mean, I think but I, I think I'm Thomas is one of the top five receivers in the league when his head is on right like he's yeah. just not guardable but again how much of that was breeze and how much yeah. and then and then is his head right i i don't know what his salary is off the top of my head but i think they they signed him to an extension which is probably yeah. pricey because receivers tend to be totally yeah the, the saints struck me as a lot like the vikings this year where when they were committed to getting the ball to kamara they were just special because he's special. And I think you look at Kamara and Michael Thomas and you go, you know, who's the more special athlete who gives us the better, you know, the better chance to win if we have to ride this person. 
Um, I think it's Kamara, but it's close. So yeah, while there's still a window of like getting huge value in exchange for Michael Thomas, I think you have to do it. Um, Pipe, let's talk about Deshaun Watson, who had an incredible season on a terrible dumpster fire of a team and who all but asked, asked for a trade this week. So we're seeing a similar arc to his uh, Houston Texans life, as we saw with DeAndre Hopkins this last um, early last season. Um, what happens to Deshaun Watson? This is amazing because nobody wants to play for the Texans. There seems to be like massive dysfunctionality in their building. And they're sitting on a 25-year-old quarterback who might you know, be one of the best at his position in the league. See, and here's the thing. I normally I'd be like, if Deshaun, so they've got him signed to a to an extension that is way under value for the talent That's that right. he is. Like it's significantly less, right. I believe, than say Kirk Cousins, for example. And Watson is yeah. way better. Um, right. Like we were talking about earlier, he's one of those special talents. So like, there's in a great scheme, he's going to look good just like everybody else. But then he does the stuff that takes the scheme up a level. Um, kind of Russell Wilson-y, except that they haven't had a great scheme because they they just... They, I read a stat that said they ran six screen passes this year, the whole year. <laughs> and a screen yeah. is not the be-all, end-all of offense, but it is an indication right. that like you're thinking about how do we relieve pressure on our quarterback? How do we, right. you know, how do we get some easy yards? How do we kind of make the defense get on their heels a little bit and right. they didn't do any of it? Well, and, and David Johnson, the running back that they overpaid for, has traditionally been a good screen and draw type guy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just dysfunctionality all over the place there. I think the problem is normally I'd be like they they fired their coach who was also their GM so, yeah. so let's see who the new GM and coach is. But the problem is the players hate the owner because the owner is the one who a couple of years ago was like the inmates are running the asylum, you know, while we're talking about, you know, incarceration rates and all these things. And he's calling, yeah, yeah. he's calling his, his players inmates, or at least that's how it was understood. Right. And, and so I think there's just a, and then I think he's also attached to political causes. The players don't like, et cetera. Um, right. So yeah, there's a there's a strong like we don't we don't like this organization vibe going yeah. on there. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. And you need you need a GM hire potentially who could really, you know, counteract that and do culture work in the building that um, you know, it doesn't look like is gonna happen. Um yeah, Watson being unhappy with the new GM hire. So my question to you is who who wins the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes? Like this was a guy that when we did our last like quarterback movement pod, we had no inkling that he would be anywhere near the marketplace. Um, what does it look like? What does it take to get Deshaun Watson from the Texans? Because they have to demand a King's ransom yeah. for him. Um, so, yeah. And, and so, and then thinking about other trades, like Jamal Adams was had what, two or three firsts in his trade. Now, granted yeah. that was, I don't think that was a great move, but also Seattle. Right. Seattle looked at their roster and was like, we will be a playoff team or borderline consistently. So our first round picks are less valuable. That's right. Whereas when the Texans traded a first for Larry Tunsil, that turned into the third overall pick. If, uh, if unbelievable. I'm, let me see. Here. Yeah. Third overall pick. Third I think you're right. Pick from Houston, Miami Dolphins. Yeah. 10 and six. Get the third overall pick. Boy, that's a team I'd love to be the GM of right now. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
I think Flores is a great coach. I think Tua I has too. strong potential, and they now have multiple first-round picks. And, yeah, mm. they're great. Um, so I think I think you're talking about uh, probably three first-round picks is your baseline. Um, yeah. Just just to, to open the conversation, which yeah. means either forfeiting future drafts or finding a team that has – multiple ones this year so they can not yeah. mortgage their future but you know kind of pay up front and be fine in yeah. the future or yeah or they have multiples next year something like that and i yeah. think the uh so the jets are in an interesting position here because they probably are they hold all the leverage right now yeah they have multiple firsts they have yep. the second overall pick which means that they're gonna get um either the BYU quarterback or the Ohio state quarterback fields or yeah. whatever generic white Zach dude. Name. Um, yeah. Yeah. Zach something or other. And, uh, <laughs> or they can, they can see if they can get in the Watson sweepstakes, which, which is interesting because it accelerates their rebuild a ton. It does. Cause Watson, yeah. Watson in that division, if they, you know, if they draft well and sign some free agents, um, he doesn't break their their budget because he's not overpriced as a quarterback. He's well paid, but not overpriced. He's right. already a top what six or seven quarterback in the league, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know that so that would be an interesting one if you did like number two this year and next year's first, something yeah. like that. Just just those, yeah. so then you keep later picks and and then you know and I, I with a pick as high as number two you might be able to not go three first, but like those two and then a second rounder and a fourth rounder or something like that. I don't know. Right. But it, right. I mean, it's, it's going to be a steep price. Yeah, it has to be because what happens to Houston, you know, like, um, do they just become one of these franchises that's perennially mired in at the bottom of the division for a decade, you know? Yeah. I mean, um, the other option is that Houston just keeps him. He is under contract and then they just start trying to, so they have some contracts they can't get out of. Like I think Randall Cobb is ten million on the books for next year, which is Ouch. just terrible. Yeah, but also then he's brutal. gone. You know. Yeah. They David David uh, is it David Johnson. David Johnson is, is a similar kind of thing. But again, then he's yep. gone. Um, you could probably trade JJ Watt. He had a healthy year this year, and he still has value because he is one of those edge guys who can who can do inside and outside. He's not what he once was, but still yeah. still a good player. You yeah. know. Dude, I wish they had traded Watt two years ago. Yeah, you know what I mean. I I think you need to. Yeah, you need to be a bit more like forward thinking on, you know, when is when does the drop off come for these guys? And I get it. Watt's been like, you know, Mister Houston Community, and he's he's. But also, Bill O'Brien. I mean, forward thinking is what whatever the opposite of that is. What he is. (laughs) There's a reason why it was just. I'm gonna trade this. I'm gonna trade the top three wide receiver in the league for a washed up running back and yeah. you know, whatever. And then I'm going to, I'm going to trade my first, my first round pick for a really good left tackle, but like that got him yeah. four wins, which then handed over the pick to the other team. So yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, Watt, I don't know what value Watt has because you know, he, he played 16 games, only five and a half sacks. Uh, yeah. You know, an interception, no forced fumbles, only four passes defensed. You know, he's, he's well, not. Well, you look at him now and you're like, 
you're playing the when is he really going to get old game. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when when is he truly going to be done? And it's it's soon. See, uh, I think Watt is at that. He's at the stage in his career. He's the Chris Long on the Patriots kind of thing where he can go yeah. two to four more years of being very yeah. useful as part of a well-schemed defense. Yeah. He can occasionally dominate a game, but yeah. he's not that guy anymore, and he he's not going to be. Uh, but I think he's still paid like it. And yeah, it would honestly be fun to see him as a reliever on a contender. You know, so one of these teams that's a guy or two away, he can come in and be the Charles Haley for somebody next year. I think that would be really interesting and probably really interesting for him um, because the Texans aren't going anywhere. Okay, so um, the interesting thing about Watt, his contract runs through next year and – it was a six-year, $100 million contract that he signed in 2014. So, yeah. you know, he's whatever. He's and The numbers tend to go up, so he's probably $20 million against the cap this year or something like that. Yeah. So trading him, the other team's going to have to be able to absorb a lot of money, but it probably means they don't have to give up much. Um, right. So if, you know, if the Texans wanted to get any value for him, they trade him for like a second round pick or something like that. And right. then the other team has to be able to absorb him. But yeah, I mean, who like, what about Miami for him? Totally. You know, I mean, a team like that. Who's like, they, I mean, they, they're a playoff quality team. Yeah. But not quite there. Exactly. Um, but they do seem to be forward thinking and one year of Watt for 20 million might not be worth anything to them. Yeah. It might not make sense for them, especially when, you know, edge rushers are a little bit like running backs in that you can take dice rolls in the later rounds and find, you know, somebody who can generate seven and a half sacks in a season. Yeah. And, you know, it's not out of the question that 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 guy comes from an unlikely place, I guess. And there was a time when we thought the Houston Texans had an embarrassment of riches at at the edge position. You know, they had Clowney, they had J.J. Watt, they had Whitney Merciless. Mm-hmm. You know, we looked at the at the Texans as like a model franchise in terms of defensive firepower, but yet the defense has never been that explosive. Um, it's strange. What is wasn't Tyron wasn't Tyron Matthew there at some point? Yeah, he was there, and he wanted out. Yeah. Like it, it's a it's a you know it's a systemic problem in Houston where you know you could put a team together of guys that they've let go over the years, and it would be. Very competitive, right? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, it would be unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. When, when you start with uh, Clowney, Merciless, Matthew, and Hopkins, yeah, I mean, that's any team would like to have those guys at least at their, you know, at their peak as a nucleus yeah. to build around. Yeah, at their peak, that's right. Yeah, yeah I, you look at those four guys. So you go, here's a man. here's an interesting one, and I don't know. I have no idea if these numbers work out. Uh, Watson. What about Las Vegas trading for Watson? Because mm. mm. interesting, Carr is Carr is is Kirk Cousins with a smaller salary, you know? Totally, totally, with a more tradable contract. Yeah, and or cuttable. Them- like if you let him go, yeah. he's going to cry. Right, right. Um, yeah, yeah, you give or you give the Texans Derek Carr and a pick and. At oh least they yeah, have Texas to, wants another car. I'm sure they want so. Well, well yeah, but they have the they have somebody time. to like take snaps until they figure it out. You <laughs> know, um, but but yeah, that would that would be interesting for Las Vegas. I think it would be, you know, we're we're quickly with the Raiders kind of veering into 
John Gruden coaching for his job territory. And, you know, he would definitely give the offense some juice to pair with a great running back, a pretty intriguing set of, you know, young receivers. I don't know. I like it. Um, I, I could see it. And, and if you're the Raiders, the calculus is always, how do we beat Patrick Mahomes? You know, we're in a, we're in a division with the best quarterback in the league in it, and we have to come with something more than yeah, our and, cousins. And they, you know what second, I mean? they probably have the second best tight end in the league right now. I mean, Waller's yeah, insane. That's right. So I, I, that was, that is one where, um, that might be worth mortgaging a future there, you know? Yeah. That yeah. I'm trying to think of other teams where it would make any sense. Um, Carolina, yeah. maybe. Yeah. I don't yeah. know that they have the, I don't know that they have the, the picks, um, the firepower to make that deal happen. Um, but they're a team that I think could be good pretty quickly. I mean, can, um, Watson, like Christian McCaffrey is another one of those running backs. You run your offense through cause he can do everything yeah. like he cook Henry Kamara. Right. These are, these are right. those guys. That's about it in the league. Yeah. Um, and Dude, but Watson he, with Christian McCaffrey and Joe Brady calling plays. Yeah. And, they, and they've got decent talent on the outside, like a couple decent receivers. I, Yep, and Carolina is the number eight pick, which means they're not going to get the, their dream quarterback this year. Uh, right. Denver's another one, you know, yeah. at nine. Um, yeah, Denver's one I could see going for it because Elway. Elway's been on the quarterback hunt since Peyton Manning was there, and he's never found it. Yeah, and this would be a way to definitely not be wrong. You know what I mean? Um, he's had several bites at the apple, and he's he's screwed them all up. Yeah. But if they have the firepower to make a deal like that, you know, and they're a team with intriguing tons of young talent at receiver, a good young tight end and Noah Fant, um, running backs that they've invested in, that would be a pretty cool situation to land in. If yeah. You're and, a, and a coach who is well, well recognized as one of the best defensive coaches in the league. I don't know what their defensive talent yeah. is exactly like right now. Cause they've had some yeah, injuries and yeah. things, but Fangio is, is brilliant. Yeah. Right. I mean, when they're healthy, you've got Nick Chubb, late career Von Miller. Um, you know, there are some dudes that are, that are intriguing. Yeah. I could see it, man. I could see Elway. I could see the Raiders. Um, I don't think the Jets will do it. I think, I think the I Jets think the would Jets, do something like put a sort of low ball offer on the table, yeah, and then just say this is here, but we're not like we're not playing this by is your here, rules. but we're, we're not going to like ours because we can we can go two directions. Yeah. we can get Watson and accelerate the rebuild by two years, yeah, or we can sit tight, get the second best quarterback in the draft, and reload across the board. So you know right. your pick. You That's know. right. Exactly. I yeah I I really think if anybody trades for Watson, it's not going to be a rebuilding team. Truly, it's going to be a team that thinks they are Deshaun Watson away from the playoffs, a la Denver yeah. or Las yeah. Vegas. Um, yeah, who, who will then hurt their future? But it might be worth it because he's twenty five years old. He's uh-huh. I think he's younger than. Um, than the Bengals quarterback or like they're within a year of each other, something yeah, like that. Yeah. He's still extremely young. I don't know if this makes sense at all. Again, like, you know, cap and pick issues, notwithstanding, but San Francisco, um, Watson and Shanahan, Watson and all those explosive young skill guys, 
uh, so I don't think they would do Kittle. that though, because I think I think Shanahan likes the idea of um the Shanahan deal is kind of all about hiding a less toolsy quarterback. Now, you know? now, of course, when he had when he was the offensive coordinator for Atlanta, that was the year that their offense was was unbelievable, and they they went to the Super Bowl. But it, with uh, Matt Ryan. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I don't I don't think that they're going to be willing to give up that many assets, especially because their their talent pool on defense especially diminished this year. Um, yeah. So I think they I think they need their picks, and I think they they I think they think they are health and you know a couple picks away from being back in the playoff hunt. Yeah, no, that's right, absolutely. Well, pipe, we've gone like an hour and twelve minutes here, man. We're uh, we're pretty deep into this thing. It's been uh, it's been good to talk sports with you. Kind of harkening back to an old old conceit. Uh, any great sports books that you've read recently that you recommend? So I'm in the middle of one right now, and it's called uh, Basketball: A Love Story. It is it's an oral history of basketball. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's got multiple kind of contributing editors, authors. Jack, Jackie McMullen's one of them. Just a great sports basketball journalist. Um, yeah. and it, it actually, it, it went hand in hand with a, uh, a documentary that ESPN did on basketball and they did all these interviews and realized, man, we need to, we need to put this into a book. So I don't know how people feel about oral histories. They, they can be, yeah. they can kind of ebb and flow sections of them yeah. are really interesting sections of them are like, whatever, we're just going on and on. Right. But it's, uh, it's really fascinating. And the way that they look at sort of just the different eras of history. Sometimes they focus on a player. Sometimes they focus on a, you know, a decision the league made, those kind of things. But it's, yeah, yeah. it's fun. It's a good one. That's awesome, man. Dude, I'm, I'm taking a deep dive into this pro football league that was around for two years in the 70s, the World Football League. Um, and oddly enough, old school shirts, a past uh, sponsor of the program kind of got me into thinking about... Um, the world football league, but there's this author, this guy named Mark Speck, who's done like multiple, very research heavy books on the world football league. And they're not like incredibly written page turners, but, um, they're just incredibly well researched, well interviewed, deep dives into this weirdo little league that, um, had all kinds of interesting people run through it over the course of a year and a half, two years. Um, so I've been, I've been enjoying his stuff, but, uh, pipe always, did you ever read, you read football for a buck by Jeff Perlman, right? Oh dude, I've read it like two or three times. Absolutely loved it. I picked up a copy of that at McKay's, um, our favorite used bookstore here in town Oh yeah, for like two 99 and it's, I haven't read it yet, but uh, I think I'm going to in the next few months. Dude, it's great. It's classic Perlman in that. You know, you talk about sports books either falling into like great writing or great research. Um, Perlman does both things really well. Uh, he's a really good interviewer. He's a really above average writer. Um, he writes a really fun, angly sports book. You know, and I, I think that's where a lot of practitioners of nonfiction go wrong is that they have either a lazy angle or no angle. Um, and they don't, and in doing so, they don't manage to pull out like the personal stories that really drive, um, a reading experience. But yeah, Perlman does a great job at that. Um, he's done it with almost every book that he's written and, uh, this one, you're going to enjoy it. Cool. Uh, it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun and, um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious to see what you think of it when you're, when you're done with it. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Pipe, we have, uh, we have done what we always do on this program, in that we have wandered to and fro throughout some NFL stuff, some NBA stuff. I need to do my NBA and baseball homework so that for next time we can uh, yeah. we can dovetail it's, into those sports. Man, the NBA is so weird this year because they just got out of the bubble like a week and a half ago. And then yeah. there's already guys missing games and weeks because of COVID safety protocols. So it's just like you show up one day and you're like, oh, the Nets are playing great. It's Kevin Durant. Nope, he's out this week because he was near somebody with COVID. So it's uh, it, <laughs> it it's, sucks, man. Yeah, it's really uneven. So like yeah, the great teams sucks. from last year sort of have a bit of a, a hangover, and yeah. some of the bad teams look frisky. But you're like, but they still suck. Like their talent's not good. So exactly. it's a it's a weird season yeah. so far. I you know what I need, dude. I need to find a reason to care about it. Um, here's a few years here's ago. Here's your reason. Yeah, yeah. John Morant. There we go. He's injured right now. It's an ankle sprain. He's not out for the season. But yeah. the fact that you live, like Memphis is the closest professional basketball team. You have no yeah. other ties. Yeah. And he's he is insanely fun to watch. And a, as far as I can it, tell, a great like a great person too. I know, man. They love him in Memphis and we and we love him, but like to me, it was so fun. I used to always take the boys to Memphis a few times a year for a, a Grizzlies game. And we used to love going to the building and, and just being there. But like not being able to go do that, I don't know. It's really put kind of a crimp in my caring about the NBA uh, paradigm. So uh, that's a good one. I need, yeah, I need some kind of a compelling reason to care about it and watch it. And I'll, I'll try, man. I'll make the effort. Yeah, um, I, of, maybe- of all the teams in the league, so I'm a Minnesota fan, but yeah. Memphis has one of the rosters that I think is kind of the most like underrated fun because John Morant's a legit rising yeah. superstar, but then they have Brandon Clark, yeah. who's yep. this weird undersized defensive power forward, uh, super athlete. They've got yeah. Jaron Jackson, who's out until his knee recovers from a, get a MCL or patella tendon yeah. tear or something like that. But he's a he's a, a fun player as well like they just, and just another great dude that they yeah. love in memphis so i mean they just memphis always puts they always put likable guys on the floor yeah you know guys that are easy to yeah cheer when about. they had conley and gasol and and zebo yep. it was the you know except for tony allen who was i don't know if he was likable or just like you like to have him on your team kind of thing but yeah 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 they like memphis memphis is a fun young roster when they're healthy totally we even had grayson allen for a minute who was kind of a likable like basketball a hole from his I think college you still career. Do. do we? Yeah. Oh, nice. Which, um, I mean, I hate Grayson Allen. So, but of but course, like, yeah. He's fun, if he's not he's on your team, fun you hate to him. hate. Totally, totally. Um, well, I need to get into it. I need to roll up my sleeves. I've done a good job of keeping up with like Mariners hot stove stuff from the off season. So we need to do a baseball pot at some point and talk about off seasons and yeah. outlooks going into next year. And and man, like. I'm afraid to hope for anything because 2020, but, uh, yeah, my, my hope I, for 2021 is that I get to attend one live sporting event. Well, dude, that's the thing. I miss going to baseball and NBA games so much. I I really want to have that back. And even the, even the viewing experience of watching it on TV. Like I think when I got, when I got baseball league pass last year, I was just so excited to have any live sport going that I, you know, you you overlook the fact that it's stupid cardboard cutouts of like people's dogs in the in the seats, and you know it was like yeah for sixty games I can overlook that whatever. But 
man, coming into this season, if we have to do another year of cardboard cutouts and stupid piped in crowd noise, it's it's going to be hard. Yeah, this is going to sound sacrilegious, but it's like live streaming church, you know. Yeah, when, no, when you're things, right. When things got locked down in March, this, that first like month, month and a half was like, all right, you know, I'm going to get up, I'm going to get my coffee, I'm going to do church from yeah. home, and it's kind yeah, of yeah. I'm just novel. thankful to be able to see my pastor in any context. Yeah, but know? then like yeah. when when we ran the risk of having to lock down again, I was like, I don't, yeah. I don't want to stare at another screen for another minute. I can't exactly. do this, and that that's how I feel about like yeah the the cardboard cutouts of like the Sandlot characters in the stands. I don't I don't want to see it. No, I hate it. It's it's depressing. It's more depressing than just empty seats. Dude, dude, to me, give us the empty seats. Give me the ambient noise of the ballpark and be done with it. Um, don't try to like foist upon us this idea that there's still atmosphere in an empty building. You know, I mean, it's practice. It's a scrimmage. Like if they played their home games at a, you know, some spring training diamond in Scottsdale, Arizona, that would be more interesting than like, you know, the empty ballpark. So um, I don't know, man. I just hope it comes back. Amen. And, uh, and we can go see a ball game at some point and hopefully go see a ball game for a team that's sponsoring us, which we had all uh, yeah, buttoned use, up last use year. Use the before. season tickets to a team that might not exist anymore. Yeah, totally. I mean, that team in its in the shape that it was in last year is not going to exist anymore. They were one of the teams that got contracted by the whole um you know minor league baseball fiasco so um they're saying that there will be pro baseball in jackson they're talking like independent ball frontier league i don't know what it's going to be but i'm i've managed to like kind of get myself pretty dialed in with the the decision makers of the powers that be in minor league baseball in jackson so i feel like when when something happens i'll know about it and i'll let you know Man, that'd be fun. I hope, yeah, I haven't paid that much attention. I'm assuming the Nashville Sounds did not get contracted. I think that would have made the news around here, but. Totally. Yeah, I think they're still affiliated. I, I've got to think they're with somebody. Who who are their affiliates? Uh, they were the Rangers most recently. They uh, they okay. used to be Oakland. Yeah, it's funny. They're in yeah. the Pacific Coast League, even though we are um, a long way from the Pacific Coast. Yeah, just a stone's throw from the Pacific Coast. Um, yeah, there's a lot of things about it that don't make sense, and hopefully those things will get ironed out and we will be back in a stadium watching baseball or back in an arena watching NBA uh, sooner rather than later pipe. Um, this has been fun, man. I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. What are we thinking for a name for the sign off? Oh man. Um, I, I think we need to, to give respect to one of the players or teams that we made a bad call on just to acknowledge our mistakes. So you pick which one, mm-hmm. but I think that should be the correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, that's good. One of the players or teams. I'm going to go with a fun, a fun name from a team that would be one of the funnest rebuilds. Great. Um, so here we go. <clears throat> Pipe, we've done what we always do on this program in that we've wandered to and fro throughout the world of sports. And until next time, Forest Lamp. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings. If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with. Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see their prices, to connect with them and ask any questions, and to see what they can do to help you launch, edit, master, and improve your podcast. 
Again, go to ResonateRecordings.com to see what they can do to help you launch and improve your podcast. Want to learn more about God and his will for your life one verse at a time? I'm Quinice Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.